Welcome back. You're watching Stockbridge with me, Juliet Televi, and joining me to take your stock-related questions this evening are Jonathan Fisher from PSG Wealth, Santon Graceland, and Alex Dace from Mtombo Wealth. If you'd like to send questions, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Jonathan, Alex, good to see you both there this evening. Um, Alex, if I may start with you, uh, not a great day for the JSE today. And I suppose unsurprisingly to some extent, considering what happened to shares like Richemont, which have, I guess, helped hoist the market higher, coming off dramatically. Um, and in fact, that is one viewer's question. He said, what on earth happened to Richemont today? Um, uh, and also at the present levels, would it be a buy? So let's start there. Good evening, Janetta. Um, the market all shares down 60 basis points, predominantly driven down by resources counters as well as, as you mentioned, uh, Richmond, which played a big role. Now, Richmond is down a region of about 9 or so percent. And if we go through the update, it does seem relatively good, right? So if you look at the actual growth rate of cost and currency, it's, it's quite decent. It's just that in, in Asia, uh, it does seem like it's well below expectations there. There's one, one or two other regions where there's a slight miss. Now, Richmond is still a fantastic company, um, you know, but yes, remember, this, it's, it is cyclical. And it's going through a golden period at the moment. And as a result, all the price for perfection. So whenever there is some sort of slight missed expectations, you do see a large impact on the share price. And I think a lot of investors already, Jetri is alluded to because it's cyclical. And at some stage, you could be a bit of downswing in the market. But mm. the company is still doing very well. Balance sheet is strong. I mean, the net cash position increased quite well. Um, there's nothing wrong with the business. You just need to be careful, uh, as alluded to. So, um, but yeah, I think that's... You can probably find better opportunities. You know, look at the luxury good stocks. They all are pretty much, I would say, above fair valuations. Um, but growth prospects are there, balance sheets are there. So it's a tough one. Um, so I won't, I won't be filling my boots in Richmond, but also not be running away from. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jonathan, you know, Richmond has had a fantastic year, year to date. And so to, mm -hmm. to see some sort of decline, as Alex said, it was priced for perfection. So any kind of what's uh, seen as a wobble is going to have an impact. Um, and uh, it's an, uh, you know, it really has done fantastically if you've held it. Um, would you wait for maybe a further pullback in Richmond shares before you would add any? Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, the sales numbers, they were good um, generally across the board, um, yet they were still below expectations. So, I mean, like for this last quarter, the company generated sales growth, sorry, sales of 5.3 billion euro. Um, and the estimate was only 5.4 billion. Okay, so it's not a huge differential mm. um, for the quarter. So that was 14% versus an estimate of about 18%. And then, um, you know, Alex rightly says Asia uh, saw the biggest pullback where growth was still 40% um, versus expectation of 52%. Um, and the online sales did. So, you know, across the board, the sales have decreased. And I guess it is a concern um, for investors. I think the shares finished around about 2,900 odd rand, um, down 9.5%. So I do expect some further volatility, um, bearing in mind that they've had a hell of a run over the last year and a half, two years, uh, based on very, very strong sales growth and earnings growth from the company. Um, 
And, you know, we would love these companies to continue producing solid sales growth, earnings growth consistently. But, uh, you know, as Alex says, there is some type of cyclicality uh, to the stock and you can't consistently keep outperforming, outperforming. And, and maybe it just does need a bit of a readjustment. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the guys that have bought early a uh, year, two, three years ago have done extremely well. I'd stay with them because it's a great, great business. Um, if one's looking to get in, I'd wait. I'd wait for the volatility, volatility to subside and settle down and um, pick a lower level mm. um, based on the earnings and and in fact wait for, for the half-year results to come out as well. Okay. Alex, um, to some extent, I suppose what would have rattled the market in Richemont's case, um, because uh, Hermes and LVMH, which are the two big European luxury goods companies, also saw share declines today, but only 4%. Uh, I imagine would have been the Chinese GDP numbers that seem to be somewhat disappointing, which would also speak to what happened to the resources stocks today. Um, were they disappointing for you? Do you think too much expectation is being placed on, on China? Um, and if China can't stimulate its economy, what does that mean for resources stocks for, um, and, and, and I guess for some of the, the key Chinese shares? Yeah, look, I mean, if you look at the, the narrative in the last year when China really takes a COVID, uh, it's all about this very strong Chinese recovery. Q1 was reasonably good, Q2 wasn't. You know, so we saw about a, quite of a mixed bag type of performance from China. I mean, retail sales numbers were slowing notably. Still got issues with the, with the property market, you know, that's actually getting worse. Industrial production, et cetera. So, you know, I think there is certainly reason to be cautious on them. Uh, on China, but you know, China will probably still do some form of fiscal stimulus. Now they could perhaps move away from what they've done before, supporting their properties, or which is more obviously linked to, you know, some of your commodities and the likes, and do other different types of uh, stimulus. We don't know exactly what they can do there, but um, I think the growth forecasts. You know, if you look at consensus, they're looking for region of five percent this year, four percent next year. I think there's probably downside risk to that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's. It's difficult to read too much into one specific number. Um, okay. But it, it was certainly a bit slower than I think people anticipate. And that does have a knock on effect, as, a, as you alluded to, on, on the commodities as well as some of the luxury goods. Also, one thing about luxury stocks is uh, remember the type of customers that buy is not your salary type individuals, right? It's people that's got a lot of wealth. And that's tend to mark uh, share, share prices, bond prices, properties, and so forth. So whenever wealth is under pressure, you see, you see, see an impact on luxury goods, but when wealth markets are still doing strong, mm. like we have seen here today thus far, you'd anticipate that to flow through. Mm. Jonathan, are you nervous about the prospects for commodity stocks? We have been saying for a while now that, <clears throat> uh, well, uh, certain commentators on the show uh, have been looking for a, a bit of a bottoming out in, in commodity shares. You saw Amplats coming out with um, a trading update today, essentially warning of a, an up to 75% fall in headline earnings, um, uh, which period was uh, for the six months into June. Um, so, I, I mean, that's historic. But I, do you see any recovery yet um, in some of the commodity stocks, um, uh, whether they be PGM or diversified commodity companies like Anglo-American uh, or BHP or Rio Tinto um, uh, overseas? Or do you think it's actually going to be tough for longer than maybe we had hoped? I think, uh, yes, it's going to be tough because, you know, we saw, okay, just, just looking, we can just talk 
uh, briefly on Amplats, uh, the PGM producer. Um, I actually thought that that trading update was a shocker. Um, you know, where um, the PGM basket price was a lot lower than average, and they got hurt largely on the rhodium and um, palladium, mm. uh, which were down 47% and 29% respectively. Um, the weak exchange rate partially uh, helping, but you can't rely on a weaker end in my mind to to make strong profits. Uh, you know, that, that's just just my view. Um, having said that, um, own production sales volumes are also down, um, and and I think it's a I think it is a concern. So that's just PGMs. We've seen other commodity prices under pressure, coal, iron ore, um, and you're starting to see a pullback in these commodity uh, shares, you know, as the prices of commodities come down and they start reporting lower earnings. So I do think it is a concern. Um, and yes, it is really based on, you know, what fundamentally are the prices of the commodities that these miners and producers are producing and mining. Um, you know, can they continue to show strong cash flow and strong profits even when the prices are coming down. So I think there is some concern. We can't pick the bottom. We've seen a big pullback this year in all these mining companies' share prices or most of them. And it boils down to what's the bottom line, you know? Um, and the, the bottom line is, like I said, is derived from ultimately the commodity prices. Yeah. How much profit these guys can make. Alex, are you um, a bit circumspect now? Um, you know, because there is a, a school of thought that these commodity companies, um, okay, gold shares aside, the gold shares have had a very good year, year to date, um, were pretty damn cheap. Um, but I guess they're telling you something about the state of the commodity sector. Do you think they're going to get cheaper um, you know, before the, the cycle turns? Well, the collapse in the commodity prices, I'm certainly concerned about South Africa's trade balance and as well as a budget deficit, which you're going to see at some stage later. So uh, I think that's something to be concerned about. Um, remember, when companies look cheap, uh, that's usually a cyclical companies on peak earnings, right? So all of these countries like Tungela, for example, trading at a PE of one, one and a half at one stage, and same with mm -hmm. platinum companies, that's on peak earnings. And that, that usually tells you, market then tells you really that that's not sustainable. Uh, and that's why we're seeing a bit of a, you know, we've seen a massive unwind of the super profits. Remember, the um, most of the profits that was made in the PGM space was actually due to rhodium prices, which just went through the stratosphere mm. with the Russian-Ukraine uh, war, and that was certainly not sustainable. And since then, uh, as Jonathan alluded to, there's been massive pressure on, on the rhodium price, and that's had a big impact. Um, at the same time, we've got this massive inflationary environment we've had, and that, uh, but very high cost inflation and that erodes the margins. And at the same time, we had production issues in South Africa, right? So uh, some own goals being scored and as a result, it's just the recipe for disaster. That's the results we have seen, or the update we've seen. Mm. Now, PGMs is always a, a difficult one. Um, I do think similar to coal, I think the transition away from using PGMs is probably going to be slower than people anticipate. Obviously, if you read the media, it's all about all of us are going to drive some form of hybrid car next year, but it's not going to be the case. Yeah. Um, so I think there will be demand for, for PGMs, but specifically higher loadings will be required. I think you know, that unfazed out will, will be there, okay? I'm not too sure about fuel cells technology, if that's going to be the saving grace. And that's also another area where a lot of investors are banging their heads about. But 
that remains to be seen. But overall, I, I would say at absolute best lukewarm towards PGFs. But mm. um, these stocks that can go still a hell of a lot lower than you think it can. Um, yeah. Remember the previous down cycle, people kept on calling and just kept on going down, down, down. And at one stage, Impala was trading at least than a billion dollars in market cap. So these things can go way down. So if you want to buy, I think you should buy in very small increments and regularly. Mm. Um, but be careful to catch a falling knife and yeah, and this single commodity. Yeah, and it's not just PGMs. I no. mean, you know, I'm, there, I'm sure there are a few viewers who remember uh, Kumba below 30 Rand share, sure. Sure. <laughs> which is yeah, less than yeah, a tenth of where it is just, now. <clears throat> Julieta, sorry, but I can just add to Alex's point. You know, he talked about, um, I think it was Tungela on a P of one or two times. You know, I, I looked at this uh, uh, MPLAT statement and I just crunched some numbers here. Um, you know, MPLATs are trading on a multiple of 4.9 times. Okay. Now, they've suggested that they or they've indicated their HEPs are going to drop between 65 to 75%. All right. So that's coming in from 101 cents for the, for the period down to 25 to 35 cents. So all I did is I assumed, sorry, 35 Rand. All I assumed was, let's assume for the second half, they achieve top end double 35. So that's about 70 Rand on the current share price. You're talking at 12.7 times multiple hmm. um, okay. from a 4.9 times. So something needs to break there. Huh? Yeah. And Point. probably the price. Yeah. A viewer says, Dear Talking Heads, um, taking into account the RAND weakening, uh, the Satrix uh, NASDAQ ETF has returned 60% in six months. Uh, September and October loom. Surely this is enough for one year and there is a bit of irrational exuberance around. But then again, who knows? Great show still. So even if we are talking heads, um, Alex, <laughs> uh, would you cash in now? I mean, it's also especially if you'd only maybe bought your NASDAQ ETFs at the start of the year, because maybe you're only kind of doing okay given what happened last year with the slide uh, in, in the NASDAQ and some of the big tech shares. Um, but if you've you've bought in in January, sixty percent is not a bad return. Been a phenomenal return, um, and to be quite frank, I think it's the biggest shock for me when I've seen so far this year in the market. Um, I mean, everyone anticipated these rates to go up, and it has gone up substantially, as well as inflation being a relative problem. And with that type of environment, you would imagine that stocks that's got high duration or it means high ratings. Um, PM ratings usually struggles in a high inflation environment, right? Mm. So the exact opposite actually happened. I mean, value stocks actually are a favor and there's this huge flock back into um, tech stocks. That's predominantly due to the AI phase we're seeing in the, in the US, right? So that has caused all sorts of havoc when it comes to forecast. No one really knows how big this is going to be, what exactly the business models are going to be, and you know how, you, how it's going to be economically extracted. But this has caught imagination as all these company valuations just rallied crazy like we saw in, in, you know, in the previous 15 years. So I think it's probably prudent to take someone off the table there. Um, I also saw Apple, if you look at this rating in S&P 500, it's actually the highest it's ever been for a single stock. Hmm. And okay. so that, that, that tells you something you need to be careful of. You know, um, I'm not saying some of these stocks will not benefit and so forth, but you know, the easy money set to be made. And also compare China tech to US tech. Yes, I know there's issues in China, it's well documented, but the differential is, is massive. Yeah. And you think at some stage there will be a bit of a reversal, capital flying out from US into these type of other opportunities to try to catch uh, that relative gap. Um, so I'll be cautious. I, I would say if you we were invested in that, certainly take some money off the table. Um, yeah, that's, that's 
be cautious. I, I mean, Jonathan, I suppose, you know, the AI um, revolution uh, <laughs> has, and you can see, you can see it in certain companies' numbers, like NVIDIA, when they absolutely stunned the market saying they can't keep up with the demand. Uh, their, their revenue forecast was so much bigger than anyone expected. There you can see AI playing into what they sell. But as, as Alex says, maybe it's not that, it's not actually that obvious uh, in, in some of the other companies. Um, so would you cash in now? Um, or are there um, companies in, in the technology sphere that you actually uh, would carry on buying? Or maybe start buying? Well that's my stock pick. I'll leave that for just now. Okay. But uh, <laughs> look, you know, this tech, this what's it? The Nasdaq's had a phenomenal run, great, and might have caught the market off um, off guard there. Um, I think it's great because last year and no, well, last year technology got, technology got hammered mm. in a big way. Mm. So it's nice to see a recovery. Uh, like this, um, I don't know. I mean, there's no harm with this particular viewer uh, or investor selling some and taking some off the table, just to take a bit of profit, uh, leave some, leave some profit for someone else. But you know, if you're a long-term investor and you've got good, good companies, um, you know, some of the big names that we're invested in, yeah, you can trade them. I don't know. I mean, there's always a capital gains discussion that needs to be had. And what are the um, benefits of getting out and trying to call it at the bottom again and trade it? You know, I, I'd prefer to stick with some of the, the big heavyweight winners that have got exposure to AI um, and ride out the volatility. Unless you've got some really fancy structure, and there are some structures out there. Um, whether they're endowments or whether they are in retirement annuities or living annuities where tax isn't an, uh, uh, a big issue or non-issue, then fine, then you can trade these things. Um, but where it's going from here, anyone's guess. Once again, I think I spoke about it earlier in the commodity space. Boils down to bottom line earnings, continuing to grow quarter after quarter, year after year, which will drive the share price up, yeah. um, finance 101, corporate finance. <laughs> and I suppose you are invested, you've got the NASDAQ ETF, you know, you're not, um, you're not holding Correct. individual shares, so you're still exposed to, to the index. A wide range. Uh, and a Correct. wide range of, of stocks. Um, okay, what about uh, US banks? Um, just in the absence of, of some questions this evening. Alex, uh, Wells Fargo came out with what seemed like um, decent results, but then uh, the expectations for Goldman Sachs this week are, seem to be really all over the place from okay to terrible. Um, does this tell you anything? Is there anything to be read into US bank results as any sort of proxy for the wider market, or is that an impossible call? I think you have to look at those that are actually conventional banks and those that are more invested banks. Um, so, conventional banks. Yeah, so the last 15 years, they had interest rates pretty close to zero. So it was very, very difficult to have interest, interest margins in there. So I think they are actually quite relieved that there's actually increased interest rates. So that will allow them to make some money. Also, of course, is that you are seeing credit losses picking up, right? And we've seen all sorts of mismatches in asset liability managing that we saw earlier this year. As a result, that's why we added uh, some of the 
runs on deposits and as well the bailouts and so forth. So I think there is still probably some headwinds in the banking space in the US that they need to address. Uh, but those that are more conventional books that have actually loaned conservatively, um, I mean, the US house market is still doing very, very well. Mm. And demand is still good for those. Um, they, they could probably make money. Investment banks more obviously tied to M&A corporate activity, what's happening in the markets. There's a bit more of a downturn there. There could be more pressures there, but obviously there's also a huge variable revenue component of that, you know, so the bonuses will probably be slashed and so forth. So I'm not specifically close to any of these U.S. banks. I don't look at it in my professional capacity, but um, uh, I would prefer a more conventional type of bank as to those that are more investment bank type. Okay. So, Nathan, you do look at these banks, though, don't you? So I don't know if you have yeah, so- a, a view. So we do like uh, some of the U.S. banks, um, and our guys uh, have done some some great work on some of them. I mean, some of the big names. In fact, J.P. Morgan came out with great numbers as on Friday, together with Wells Fargo, uh, Citigroup. They all actually beat expectations. Um, and in fact, I was looking earlier. The share prices have continued to um, increase this evening. Um, so, you know, as long as um, – so these are big banks. They're not uh, the Silicon Valley banks and so forth that, uh, have, you know, are very niche and hurt the sector to some extent from a reputational perspective. They've got very strong balance sheets. Um, they've got good operating uh, measures and, uh, and, and, and uh, strong cash generation. Um, and, I mean, that American economy is – Growing, I think the GDP growth figure came in. What was it? it was about two and a half, three percent, if I recall correctly. So I think these banks are still making money, um, and are. I mean, it's, it comes through these numbers, and and those would be the ones that we like. Um, continue just to accumulate. Um, so I'm I'm quite positive on that sector, but you know, it's a it's a very broad market. You got to pick the heavyweights and be careful of the smaller ones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll get into your stock picks this evening. Alex, what takes your fancy? Okay, so obviously there's not a lot of company results out. So I was looking for more of a stock that has got a structural longer-term growth. So in South Africa, there's a few options I actually like from that theme perspective. You think about it, something like a Grinrod that can benefit from a Transnet, Roynet from renewable energy. But my pick is today a study on, on private education. And I see them more as a competitive for, for UNISA, right? Uh, so some of you might have seen the articles in Unisa, but it's it's quite frank that Unisa is a shadow of what it used to be. I mm. mean, something like forty odd percent of the assignments wasn't marked. Out of fifty thousand of the three thousand first year students failed half their models, and I think over almost forty thousand NASFA first recipients they didn't even pass a single module. So that just shows you, you know, that institution. Uh, there's no merit or excellence at all. So I think it is, it's ripe for competitors to come in. Now, at the moment, studies got quite a few disadvantages because they don't get discounts for government, for students, they don't get nice for bursaries, et cetera. But I think that could change over time. Mm. But in the meantime, they are going to continue to buckle down. And the traditional public university is also struggling. Um, so I think for me, that's a longer term strategy makes sense. It's also not capital intensive uh, because they're doing predominantly online. They, they distance learning is about 80% of their target. So obviously, if you look at the media, there's a lot of Articles on the Centurion campus and one of the and Durbanville. But that's not really what study is about. It's more about competing with Venice. And I think there's a very, very strong growth area for that over the medium term, as well as in the rest of Africa. 
yes, there will be some competition and so forth, but I think they're well positioned. I think this business will give you good growth and surprisingly very good dividends uh, over time. Hmm. So whenever there's weakness in share price, pick it up. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the Unisa story is staggeringly awful. Um, and just another, I suppose, me from to the private sector providing services that the government should be doing. Uh, Jonathan, you alluded to your stock pick a little bit earlier. What are no. you buying? By the way, I like Stadio as well, but that's a minnow relative to my stock pick, uh, which is Microsoft. We were talking about AI and technology. Um, to give you an idea, the market capitalization of Microsoft is sitting at two and a half trillion US dollars. Now I'll translate that into rands, that's mm. 45 trillion rand. South Africa's total GDP is $409 billion, which is seven and a half trillion rand. And Process has a market cap of 155 billion, which is only 2.8 trillion versus 45 trillion. So we're talking you know, yeah, big a big numbers. company, a massive, yeah. Anyway, look, the latest third quarter earnings ending March 31, uh, the revenue was up to 52.8 billion, uh, which is up 7%. Net income up uh, to 18.3 billion, which was up 9.5%. And their basic earnings per share from continuing ops uh, was $2.46 versus $2.23, up 10%. Yeah. So, you know, when I look at an income statement, I like to see the numbers going like that. You know, <laughs> get big at the bottom. Margins just keep going up. Yeah. Um, very, very juicy margins. 68% uh, gross margin, net profit margin, 33.2%. And AI has become quite a big story for them. Yeah. Uh, and cloud computing. So that's my pick okay. for Great. today. We have to leave it there. Jonathan, thanks, thanks very much for joining us. Alex, also nice to see you on the show this evening. Uh, Jonathan Fisher is from PSG Wealth Center in Grayston. Alex Dace is from Mtombo Wealth. And up next, the close with Bloomberg. Stay with us.